This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Illinois 17th District Representative Cherry Bustos. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the Corn Farmers Coalition, growing safe, abundant, and affordable food in a sustainable way. Congresswoman Sherry Bustos joins us next here on AgriPulse Open Mic. Innovation, efficiency, and productivity. For America's family farmers, this is a reality born of commitment and necessity. Today, farmers can plant up to 43% of the nation's corn crop, an area bigger than New York State, in a single day, thanks to advances in machinery, management, and technology. Growing safe, abundant, and affordable food in a sustainable way is a great American success story. To learn more, go to www.cornfarmerscoalition.org. Innovation is growing in the cornfields of America. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Our guest this week is Congresswoman Sherry Bustos. The Illinois Democrat serves on the House Committees on Agriculture as well as Transportation and Infrastructure. Bustos believes her 17th District constituents expect policy over party, which works well with both committees where she serves. I guess my feeling that I get from people who I represent is that they just want members of Congress to get things done. They, they want us to be folks who understand common sense legislation. You know, the, the, the family farmer out there wants us to work together and you know, do what's right for our country. You know, I, I don't feel a whole lot differently today than I did the day I was elected, and that is, you know, I've got, I've got a desire to, to reach across the aisle. If, if I've got to compromise in order to support something, I'll do that. It, it means that we don't always get what we want, um, and that's just that's the nature of, of government. But we've got to fight for what we believe in, and, um, you know, your, your audience is, uh, is family farmers. I, I come from a long line of family farmers. My grandfather was a hog farmer. Um, I, I have aunts and uncles who are dairy farmers. We have Angus farmers, corn and soybean farmers. So I get it, um, you know, from my you know, very earliest days, the importance of family farmers to the Midwest, to our country, the fact that they're, they're good enough to invest their lives and their livelihood in feeding the world. So, you know, my pledge to folks listening is just that I'll work my hardest and, and I'll always listen to our farmers and try to cast the votes that make sense. With regard to the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, what is ahead for you and what are the heavy lifting tasks that are really on the table? Now, we have a lot of heavy lifting and it. it and as I said uh, when I was characterizing serving on the Ag Committee, um, I, I think also a highlight for me is, is that I, I do serve on the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. It, too, is a committee where uh, there, you, you can't apply uh, partisan labels to what we're trying to get accomplished here. We need a long-term highway bill. Um, what we voted on back in May was a two-month extension uh, to, to keep that funded just through the end of this month. And so uh, when we're talking about a sense of urgency, that applies to this uh, a highway bill as well. Um, here's what I support. There, there's a piece of legislation that has uh, bipartisan support at this point that calls for um, the corporate profits that now sit overseas to, to the tune of $2.1 trillion. Um, I support a move that would bring those profits home uh, through something that's called repatriation. That would give us about six years' worth of funding uh, for uh, to, to uh, address our infrastructure needs. Um, now, there are actually three different versions of this repatriation that are all uh, financed at, at different rates. Uh, the, the bill that I support, and maybe this gets a little too technical, but the reason I'm bringing it up 
is that it has bipartisan support. There's a there's a, a president's version of this. There's a um, more strictly Republican version, and there's a bipartisan version of this. Um, I support the bipartisan version that uh, taxes that at 8.75 percent. Um, that is at at a rate that uh, corporations can bring that home, and it can give us adequate funding. Um, now, now that is what I support. The the reality is, is I don't think that's going to come up for a vote here before uh, the the highway trust fund um, is empty at the end of this month. So, what I would anticipate happening is that uh, we would probably have another extension. I think it's a terrible way to do business. It it doesn't give our road builders and our our construction workers and and our engineers and our our state governments, the time that they need to plan for long-term infrastructure projects. Um, but it, it's an unfortunate reality of, um, of Washington, D.C., that we keep putting these measures on the table, that all, all they do is kick the problem um, down the road, and uh, we're not coming up with these long-term solutions. The other part of this, this bill that I support, Jeff, it, it calls also for a study uh, to look at long-term sustainable funding for our infrastructure needs. You know, we, we're, we're a country that um, uh, the, a huge competitive advantage that we've had globally for, for generations has been that we've got, a, we've got an infrastructure system where we can move our goods in an efficient manner. Um, the, uh, but what's been happening, um, really, I would, I would argue for close to the last um, you know, 10 plus years is that we haven't addressed our infrastructure needs. Um, we've seen um, devastating effects as a result of that, um, with the with the bridge that collapsed in Minneapolis, um, we've got a situation. If you just want to even look at the the state of Illinois, that you know I I represent one one of 18 congressional districts in Illinois, but we've got uh, close to 27,000 bridges in our state, um, and more than 2,200 of those are considered structurally deficient, um, and that just means that they you know we haven't kept pace with the with the steel work on it, with the um, the concrete work on it, and then there's another almost 2,000 that are were built that that they're not sufficiently uh, that they can sufficiently handle now. So you know this is a big problem. Problem that's just the bridges alone, and then we've got you know we've got um, about 15 percent of our highways aren't aren't uh, keeping pace with what our needs are now too. So a lot of needs out there, and that's just the upkeep that we're talking about, let alone addressing our future needs. The other side is the longer you wait, the more expensive it becomes. Well, it, and not only the more expensive it becomes, but again, if we keep doing these these short fixes or these two-year highway bills, um, it, that also increases the cost because we're not planning out to the degree that we need to be planning out. The Export-Import Bank has been allowed to expire. Who's suffering as a result of that, and what effort may there be to bring that back? That's a, again a terrible move on the the, the part of uh, the leadership that uh, didn't bring this up for uh, renewal of the charter. Um, who's suffering is ninety five percent of the businesses that benefit from the Export Import Bank are small businesses. So we've got just in my congressional district alone, we have twenty two businesses that have. Uh, benefited from the Export-Import Bank to the tune of about uh, more than half a billion dollars um, in, in exports. Uh, that supports, you know, more than 3,000 jobs, again, just in my congressional district alone. So, so it is, it's a huge um, impact. And, um, you know, the, the biggest beneficiary of the Export-Import Bank in my congressional district is John Deere. 
Um, but you've got to look at all kind of those feeder businesses that go into making our combines and our and our cedars that uh, that come out of our region. So um, this is something that uh, I, I was told this morning. I'm, I'm um, part of a, a bipartisan study group where we talk, um, you know, hardcore about legislation that's coming up. And um, I was told by my friends on the Republican side of the aisle that there's a possibility that the Export-Import Bank, uh, the renewal of that charter could be tied in to um, some kind of transportation bill. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen with that. But my hope is that that will come up. Uh, to renew the charter, and uh, I support actually a long-term fix of that as well that would um, extend that for seven years. The progression of leadership in Washington seems to be legislation, then regulation, and now to litigation. <laughs> with, with regard to the renewable fuel standard, there was a thought from Congress that now is being questioned of how the EPA's regulatory process is carrying out. How do you see the question over the RFS, and should the number be changed? Well, it, it, it absolutely ought to be changed to make sure that the ethanol and the biofuels industry can thrive. This is a, a, a line of business in our rural economy that has done very well. And what the EPA has done has hurt the, uh, the biofuels industry. So that's not something that I take very lightly. We, we, we have seven biofuels plants in my congressional district. Um, it is a major economic driver um, in the state of Illinois, um, in, the, in the Midwest, and we're going to fight this. You know, I, I, have met, um, I have met with the EPA Administrator, Gina McCarthy, to, to talk about the importance of making sure that we've got a biofuels industry that can grow and thrive um, I have gone over to the White House and met with the administration to talk about the importance of um, making sure that this industry can thrive. And when we take a hit, like the, the EPA has handed down here uh, through its, uh, this rule, um, we, you know, we, we are not going to sit down and take that lightly. So um, I actually led a bipartisan group of uh, members of Congress um, to, to object. We wrote a formal letter saying we object to this. Um, and, and again, we'll just keep fighting and make sure that, um, you know, I, I don't want this to end up in court. I just want this to end up uh, benefit, benefiting the industry so it can continue to thrive and grow. One of the leaders of EPA has said, though, it's also improper for Congress to set a hypothetical mark for the use of renewable fuel uh, and then hope that infrastructure and the rest of the market uh, gravitates to that number. The one encouraging thing that came out of the EPA is that uh, they're, they're willing to invest uh, $100 million um, in the infrastructure. So, you know, we, we think that part of it was encouraging. Um, we've, we've actually uh, written a letter to Governor Rauner in the state of Illinois saying, you know, we not, need to make sure that the state gets behind this, that there's private investment in this. But, uh, you know, we want to make sure that that billion-dollar hit that the EPA is handing down through this ruling doesn't stand, but yet uh, that we, can, we continue to encourage this, this investment in the infrastructure so we can move our biofuels. Well, on the topic of the EPA, at the end of August the 28th, their new definition of clean waters, the WOTUS rule, as it was known, does take effect. It is the law of the land. Mm -hmm. Are you comfortable with that, or do you see a movement in Congress to take action that might impede the EPA before that August 28 deadline? Well, we, we weren't um, happy with, with this, as, you know, either. I'm, I'm a Democrat, and, you know, uh, uh, we, it, it, as, as part of, uh, you know, our, our core beliefs, we want to make sure that we're taking care of Earth. But uh, at the same time, 
we want to make sure that our, our family farmers are consulted on this. And we happen to believe that, you know, you can preserve the, the nation's environment and protect the livelihood of our farmers. So um, we've urged the EPA to make sure that they're consulting more closely with our state and local officials to develop any uh, new proposals on this. Uh, so th- this is one where um, I, I want to make sure that we're working together on this, but uh, we, we, we think that there was some... some a uh, little bit of go- government overregulation in this area. By the end of July, it is said that the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal may be resolved and potentially could come to Congress before the end of the year. What were your thoughts about the d- debate over TPA or fast track for the administration? And now that this uh, TPP deal may come to Congress, what are your thoughts? Uh, this it, this was a, a tough issue um, as as I looked at it and looked at the people I represent in the northwestern region of Illinois, you know, we have a very long, rich, and deep history in manufacturing. Um, and I want to make sure that, uh, you know, we thrive in that area. I, these, these are jobs where people can support their families. I also know that uh, trade deals that uh, don't look at fair trade have been very hurtful to our workers. Um, you know, just in the in Knox County, which is in kind of the central part of uh, the district I represent, there's a town called Galesburg, and um, that town had a plant, uh, a Maytag plant, that um, literally overnight shipped uh, 1,600 jobs to Mexico, and that was that was more than a, a decade ago. And yet today, the the salaries there are 30 percent less than they were prior to Maytag um, uh, being in in that county. So, um, you know, so I ended up voting against the what's called fast track, um, and my rationale for that is is that does not allow us to um, alter the trade agreement in any way once it's brought to us. We can either vote in favor of it or we can vote against it, but we are not allowed to add any amendments to that. Um, so as I look at the deal, I, I mean, I, I, we don't know what's in it right now. Um, I will keep an open mind, but uh, first and foremost, I want to make sure that it looks after our, our workers in our region. The government is considering new nutritional guidelines, and some would have suggested the initial proposal might have had an environmental angle for the suggestion of nutrition for citizens of the U.S. What are your thoughts about bringing the environment into the nutrition guidelines? I want to make sure that the the food that um, you know our, our children all over the country are consuming are are safe. I, I just I think we need to consider that as, as we look at it. But we also have to make sure that we're allowing our um, our farmers to do uh, the job the the best that they can. You know, they're our farmers are mothers and fathers and grandmas and grandpas. They want to do what's right for the next generation. Um, so they've got a way into this um, this debate as well. And um, it, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a mother of three sons, um, and I'm a I have a, a granddaughter and a grandson. So I, I, I obviously we want to do what's right for our children and uh, future generations. And I but I think our family farmers need to weigh in on the debate as well. What are your thoughts about the Pompeo bill on GMO labeling? Obviously, when we're looking at at labeling, you can't do this um, in a state by state nature. It does not make any sense whatsoever. So um, we need to um, take a look at what we're going to do um, from a national perspective. I'm open-minded to what makes the most sense. Uh, I'll meet with people. Um, I, I can't tell you that I've formulated a, a definitive um, position on it at this point, other than to know that uh, doing any kind of labeling um, on a state-by-state basis makes no sense. 
and finally, I know that the work that has been done by the U.S. Farm and Ranch Alliance, by other agricultural groups, proves that the women in agriculture, the farm wives, those who are actively involved in agriculture, uh, are some of the most trusted to be able to carry the message of agriculture to the non-farm consumer. Uh, what role do you see for women in agriculture, and what what might be coming in your district before the end of the year? Well, thanks for that nice shout-out to uh, my gender. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, we just had a, a very nice uh, meeting, a productive meeting, with the Deputy uh, Secretary of Agriculture, uh, Krista Harden. Uh, th- it is one of her um, initiatives to take a look at women in agriculture. She has started a mentoring network um, and make sure that uh, you know, women who want to go into agriculture are given opportunities to do that, uh, that we look at women as, as being spokespeople for the ag industry. And what we're going to do is a next step. Um, we've invited the Deputy Secretary into our congressional district to actually uh, do some roundtable discussions about women in agriculture, um, how we can, how if, if they want to grow their role in our region, how we can play a part in, uh, in connecting uh, women with uh, key leaders in the ag industry. And, uh, you know, and I, and I think, you know, let's just take it from there. I, I have a lot to learn in that area. Um, I look forward to sitting down with women in agriculture in our region and and learning more from them as well. Congresswoman, thank you so much for spending time with us here on Open Mic. It is an open mic, and the audience is yours. All right. Thank you very much, Jeff. I I certainly appreciate uh, your willingness to have us on your program, um, and I welcome the opportunity at any time. And and what I would say to the farmers out there, if there's anything on your mind uh, that you'd like us to know about, any innovative ideas, uh, always feel free to reach out to our office. Our thanks to this week's guest, Illinois. 17th District Representative Sherry Bustos. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the Corn Farmers Coalition. Growing safe, abundant, and affordable food in a sustainable way. To learn more, visit www.cornfarmerscoalition.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.